Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. The text line is lighting up with uh, suggestions for me to try to what phrase I should include in the broadcast. So I definitely want to dive into that as the show goes along. Yeah, a lot uh, of good ones coming yeah, in. Yeah, a lot of good ones coming in. But I want to get into this distraction segment first. Uh, one of my first mini camps in, in New England, uh, Coach Belichick is talking to me as some other drills are going on. And he asked me, what do, what do you think about the team, Chad? And I said, Coach, I, you know, I don't want to sound crazy or insulting, but I've been around, you know, maybe more talented teams. Now, bear in mind, they had just won two Super Bowls in a row as I was saying this. And he said, Chad, you've got this whole thing all wrong. You've looked at talent as the as the uh, top priority. I look at consistency and trust as a top priority. He said, you, you probably had some teammates, Chad, who were a nine athletically, but some plays they were only a two because they didn't know what they were supposed to do. They didn't know what was expected of them. So, yes, and I immediately thought of some guys who were incredibly talented in my mind, but they were also incredibly inconsistent. Uh, he's like, so when I want to call up a third down play, and this guy's a receiver who's a nine or a two, what am I going to get on this third down play? Is he going to be a nine on this play, or is he going to get a two? And as he's having this discussion with me, uh, Teddy Bruschi jogs by, and he says, now there's Teddy Bruschi. Teddy's a seven athletically. But I know Teddy is consistent. I can trust Teddy. I know what Teddy's going to do every practice, every game, every single play. Teddy is captain consistency. Therefore, I can put him in positions to be successful, even though he may only be a seven consistently. That's what I need as a coach. I need consistency. I need trust. I need to know where this guy is going to be. You and your teammates, and I thought this was a great diss he threw at me, were busy collecting Pro Bowl watches while we were getting Super Bowl rings. Mmm, Bill, what a zinger. And I just thought that is, that's a great way to phrase it because that Pro Bowl watch is worth about 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. That Super Bowl ring is worth about 10 grand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from a value perspective, uh, he certainly uh, cleared up my perceptions, but it opened my, my mind uh, in a way about football that I hadn't really thought about it before. Because it's not always the most athletic team that wins. It's the most consistent team. The team that goes out there and, to take a, another bill phrase, does their job over and over and over and is repeatable and sustainable on that, that finds ways to win football games. So while we, as media folks here at camp, we love the long ball because it wows us and it gets us moving. And suddenly, uh, Josh Johnson has won the backup quarterback spot because he threw one long ball to uh, the, the new receiver, uh, Darius Slaughter. Darius Sla- Shepard. Shepard. Darius Shepard. There we go. Uh, so suddenly, he's the number two quarterback. No, Coach Hackett wants the number two quarterback to be consistent. He wants him to be a guy who he can rely upon and trust, not who can occasionally dial up a long ball. So as you think about football and you think about the demands and needs of football coaches, yes, there is room for the spectacular player out there, but they really would love to have a team full of guys who are super consistent and just does their job at a high level every single time. Yeah, to me, it's about heart. You know, what kind of heart do these players have and how bad do they want to be out here and part of this team? That's why the whole roster construction is really, really important. It's not just about the high price signings you get or the flashy players. It's about every single dude out here and what's at stake for that dude. What is he willing to do to, to, do to stick around? 
Jerry Judy is a first-round draft pick. Is he willing to go cover a kick to stick around? No, he's not. Or else he'd be over there in special teams <laughs> right. doing it, right? <laughs> right. Instead, when it's special teams periods, it's KJ, it's Jerry, and it's Corlin over here just doing receiver drills while the rest of the receivers are over there doing what they got to do to stick around because their dream is to play in the NFL. Okay, right now they're they're doing that. But to stick around past cuts and be here when week one starts, they're going to have to show themselves to be exactly what you showed, what you just talked about, reliable, consistent, Good teammates, accountable, punctual, okay? Um, lining up in the right spot and doing the dirty work that it takes for a football play to work. I talked about this earlier. Offensive football is about 10 guys clearing the way for one dude to tote the rock. Only one guy gets to hold that football, whether it's the quarterback delivering it to whoever he gets it to, and then that guy moves the ball. The other 10 guys out there are doing what they have to do to clear the way for that guy, to create create space, to create time for him, to create an opportunity for him to slash through the defense. This is a team sport. It's the ultimate team sport. You get guys on this team, these offensive linemen, don't even ever look at the ball. They don't even think about the football. They're talking about moving bodies. Okay, it's the only sport in the world where you got certain guys who never, ever, ever touch the ball. So... It has to be a selfless endeavor. It has to be pride in your unit, and it has to be a belief in the mission, which has to be articulated by your coach. And that's why the communication style of your coaches is so important. And not just the head coach, but the 30 other coaches he employs to get everyone moving in the right direction. One football. There's only one football. Who's going to carry it? We don't know. But we all got to prepare as if it's going to be us. And if it isn't, what else can I do to help this team win? Yeah, when when you know, I, you, I'm sure you've seen this at some point uh, during your years, where a receiver or running back, you know, goes to his position coach and says, you know, how come they're not, how come they're not throwing me the ball? How, what's how come you're not you know calling my number? And in my experience, that coach usually replies with something like, I can't trust you. <laughs> you know, I, that's why we don't throw you the ball. We can't trust you. You can't line up right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of dudes who have those feelings and ask Coach about it, and that's not the reason why. It's not that they're not trustworthy or they suck or they can't be relied upon. It's that there's only one ball, man. And, and like, like Caden Davis, can we not trust him? No, we. I think he. Well, he certainly is doing everything he can to develop trust. Right. Being the first guy out here, getting Kendall the Hinton, Can we not trust him? Uh, he does the work as well. What about Jerry Judy? Can we trust him? Because uh, he gets more balls than the guys who we don't that that we can trust. Your, can we, can your, we trust Jerry? Your ability allows you to walk into the door with a higher sense of trust than someone who hasn't proven to have that same level of ability. So your draft status to a certain extent and your overall up, your upside, potential upside, gives you a better sense of trust when you walk in the door. But that sense of trust has to be earned and maintained. And some of the things that Jerry Judy has done has eroded some of that trust. But because he's such a talent, they keep trying to give him opportunities to earn that trust back. Yeah, K.J. Hamler, Jerry Judy... Those two guys drop a lot of passes. Yep. Proportionally to other receivers. Kendall Hinton is a more trustworthy target. He gets fewer targets, and he's going to continue to get fewer targets. Why? Because those guys are drafted, number one and number two, and the organization has put more um, hope in those guys than they put in Kendall, and hope will get you some targets. And at what point do... You know, does the cream rise and the guys who are, are the most trustworthy and are playing the best get the ball in their hands? That's why we're out here practicing. That's why we're practicing Thursday against the Cowboys to see how those guys respond 
to another color jersey. Some guys take, you know, coming to take their lunch. Guys who don't know their moves, who don't know their plays, who don't know the snap count, who aren't used to playing brother-in-law out here with these guys. It's going to be interesting to see how that practice unfolds. But we got a lot to learn, a lot to learn about these guys in a short amount of time, and that's why practice is so imperative and these limited practice uh padded practices so important all right to circle back before you said it's not because there's only one football i was speaking you know uh, from a defensive standpoint uh when a linebacker in one of my internships would say you know how come i'm not getting more run it's like because they don't trust you man they don't trust you You don't trust you to line up they don't trust you to do your assignment We, we don't know what you're going to do out there. We need all 11 guys to be in the right place. Otherwise, the design of the defense fails, and until we can trust you, you're never going to have the ability for – you're never going to have the opportunity for, for you to show us what your ability is. Right. Yes, you are, you are a talented, athletic guy. But in this game, from a coaching standpoint, it is our trust in you that allows you to show us your athleticism and your overall ability. Until you build that trust up, you're just a guy – you're just, you're just another guy. You are just a jag. What is the ripple effect of a linebacker, for example, lining up in the wrong spot? How does that affect the rest of the guys around him, or does it? Well, typically a linebacker is responsible for one of the run gaps. So if it's a run play, that gap can be voided. And if it's a talented enough running back, uh, he's going to see that uh, linebacker misaligned and know when, when to cut and get take advantage of that. From a secondary standpoint or a coverage standpoint, if you're going to burn a zone and, and go in the wrong area, again, a talented enough quarterback is going to recognize that and get the ball to the right guy to take advantage of that. So you are literally going to be hanging your teammates out to dry by your lack of ability to know your job and do your job job within the design of the defense. The text line continues to light up with suggestions for uh, my phrase that pays during the broadcast, so keep them coming, guys. Lots of fun. I'm looking forward to discussing that, but we got Mike Yeah, right Clancy. now, I just want to give him yeah. a couple. Uh, he struck at him like a cobra. Yep, that's a good one. Snake bitten. Uh, okay, we're going to keep it reptile. I like it. From under cheese. No, I'm not doing that. Choo-choo, woo-hoo. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that He just either. got buffalo. <laughs> I like it. Uh, you can't milk a snake. Uh, that's uh, okay. I'll but can you? Can you milk a snake? Uh, there are snakes called milk snakes. Yeah. But snakes do not have milk. Okay. If that makes any sense. So that wasn't milk. It came out of your snake. Is that right? <laughs> All right. We got Mike Kliss. He's next. <laughs> Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022. Ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. We welcome in Mike Kliss, our 9 News Bronco Insider, presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Mike Kliss, uh, busy working his phone, capturing making some, deals. some yeah. video, uh, taking a phone call, doing a tweet all at the same time. Yeah. Throw, hurriedly throwing on his headsets to uh, start the interview. Appreciate you joining us, Mike. Right on. Yeah, there's uh, there's rumors that the Penners are here today. Oh, is Ooh, that right? Yeah. So wow. There you go. It's uh, a new era. It is the last last day of the bowling era that people are so last full day anyway. What does that look like, Mike? What's that handoff actually look like? That's a, that's a good question. You know, they're first of all, it's going to be uh, they have the vote from the NFL ownership body tomorrow mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. Anticipate that being unanimously approved. Uh, David Tepper was unanimously approved. Usually, uh, you got to watch out for Mike Brown. And Mark Davis, they're contrarians at heart. Uh, they've proven to be with votes in the past, but what could they possibly object to? It? Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. I mean, He's Tepper, too rich. Tepper had the highest price in 2018 for the Carolina Panthers at 2.2 um, billion. 
it's now four point six five billion. So Amazing. I don't think I don't think the owners are complaining about the uh, about the assets that have uh, gone up in, in with with their team. So and Pat bought the Broncos for seventy million. Yeah, seventy million. Yeah, and in, in quite parts, an ROI there. It, it was it was fifty one million at first. Him and his uh, brother and uh, sister, and then a year later, they bought the other oh, is that right? twenty million wow. from uh, from a couple minority investors. So, yep, seventy one million. Jeez. Wow. So yeah, tomorrow looks like the uh, the vote will happen for the Walton Pinner Group to become official uh, owners of the Denver Broncos, transferring over from the Bolin family. It's been a tremendous run here yeah. under the Bolin ownership. Seven Super Bowls, yeah. three Super Bowl victories. Uh, if you had to kind of sum it up uh, quickly, what would you sum up the uh, Bolin owner? of the Broncos like? Well, I would say it was a Hall of Fame, you know, ownership. You know, like you said, it was it was seven Super Bowls and only five losing seasons there for there's a thirty year stretch there wow. where you had more Super Bowl appearances than losing seasons. Wow. Ask the Detroit Lions if that's a good stat. <laughs> right. <laughs> um and so that was remarkable. Now, you know, and the trust um, you know, with Joe Ellis and John Elway uh, they took over in 2011, and so there was a five-year run that also coincided with Peyton Manning, where uh, it was one of the best five-year runs the team ever had. And then the last five, six years, it's been one of the worst, one of the worst in the last 50 years. It's unfortunate the way it finished. Uh, for the most part, though, the overall body of work, I guess you could say, with the with the Bolin family was pretty good. Do you think those last five years of, of losing correlates with the ownership issue, or do, do you think do you think it was reflected on the field? Hey. I, I don't. I, I think um, you know there. Are, I think there are four pillars to an NFL franchise: owner, GM, head coach, and quarterback. And the owner really only comes in when the other three aren't there, and they did have they did have problems with the other three. I mean, John Law, John Elway lost his golden touch with the with the uh, quarterbacks, as far as finding one. Um, he lost his uh, goal. You know, the the coaches couldn't pull it out with what they had. You know, I'm not sure exactly where to blame, but uh, the resources were there. Uh, during this rain, um, you know, they had they got the new field house. They redid everything upstairs. There's a great cafeteria. All the facilities have been upgraded. I mean, that's what an ownership does, uh, owners do. Maybe, maybe an owner would have uh, fired people quicker for not getting the job done. But, I mean, were you, were you going to fire John Elway after he had the Super Bowl in 2015? Yeah, who, you right. talk, who would you fire quicker? Because like, yeah. his coaches had three years, Vance had three, or I'm sorry, two, and then yeah. Vic had three. Yeah. Maybe Vic, after only two, would have been gone? I, you know, I don't that's know. That's a COVID year. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. figured out. Right. Yeah. And and the, the thought was, you know, uh, and that's when they changed GMs, too. Yeah. And I don't think George wanted to, you know, he wanted to observe for a year right. before making things. So. I think it's in good shape now. You know, I think George, you know, has shown signs of being a good GM. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the way he operates, I think he's got a chance because he's an offensive mind. It's what this franchise needed. And, uh, you know, and everyone thinks that they got the right quarterback. So we'll see. All right, uh, let's shift the conversation to the field. You just mentioned Nathaniel Hackett in this offense. Uh, Coach Hackett talked about the defense being a little bit further ahead 
But I think uh, a couple days last week and again on Saturday, there were uh, glimpses of what we be, what we hope to see this offense eventually become. Yeah, I thought uh, Russell had a pretty good day. Uh, it was a it was a big time passing day uh, Saturday, and um, again, it wasn't perfect. Uh, it, it you know when it got to the two minute that 142, there were a couple situations. That's when he came through, and he came through on third and five. Sometimes when you're just running reps. You have two incompletions, and you're only getting four reps, and you're running two of them. You don't look so good. Right. In that uh, when you have a full series, uh, you know, and, and it's you have two incompletions, it's third and eight. You can still pick it up, and and then you keep going, and then you get in a little rhythm. And uh, they did seem to uh, find some guys uh, open, kind of kind of sitting in between the linebackers and the safety down on the sides. Uh, you know, the last couple padded practice, so that was good to see. But, you know, I can see Russell Wilson looks to me like he's not always going to be, it's not always going to look pretty, but when it's crunch time, when it's clutch time, that's when he seems to be pretty good. Talk a little bit about this defense, in particular the defense coordinator, Idro Evero. We haven't talked a lot about him or heard a lot from him. What's your sense of how this defense is adapting to his leadership? Yeah, I think it is. It, it, it does seem like it's got a lot of Fangio, but also he brought some Rams with him, in particular Draymond Jones. They had uh, they had one line, they had one formation defensively, where they had Baron Browning and uh, Bradley Chubb on one side. All right, and Draymond Jones, who supposedly is going to play the Aaron Donald positions, uh, he was split way out to the left, like in the the seven technique, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, and and the Rams, I think, did a better job uh, with pressure. They have Aaron Donald too. Yeah, <laughs> we're not comparing Draymond Jones right. to Aaron Donald. Why not? Yeah, but he is going to play the same position. And so I, I, I think there's going to be a little more creativity in bringing pressure. Fangio wasn't big on bringing pressure. You know, I, I, I they were good. It, it was, a to a, a large extent, I thought it was a bend but not break defense. When the, when teams wanted to run the ball three three or four times last year, they rammed it right down the Denver D's throat. I, that was, I always thought these rankings were a little overrated because of the way teams finished. You know, uh, f- five-minute drill, never mind the four-minute drill, the five-minute drill, and then kneeling at the end <laughs> yes. to, to protect the lead. That was quite embarrassing. Well, Coach Everett certainly uh, talked about bringing pressure and uh, affecting the quarterback uh, in his uh, one of his opening pressers. Yeah. So I knew that was going to be a part of this defense. And then when you have a player like Aaron Donald, uh, as a defensive coordinator, you're forced to dive into your creativity to find the the best matchup for him along the front. So for him to take that experience from the Rams and bring that here and have a guy like Draymond Jones who has the ability to shoot and penetrate gaps, definitely not the same caliber of player, but a similar kind of skill set, I think it's definitely wise to dive into those past experiences and try to replicate that in some ways here. Um, Outside of the movement of Draymond Jones, you talked about the two linebackers being on the same side. Is there anything else you've seen defensively that would be a wrinkle we didn't see with Vic Fangio? Uh, no, I, it'll be interesting to see how uh, 
you know, Fangio also, even in the dime, dime or nickel, I, you know, I can't remember what it is, but he often had both linebackers out there, mm-hmm. inside linebackers, Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson. I think you're going to see less of that. I think you're going to see a one linebacker and the extra DB. Uh, who, you know, it's going to be, uh, well, Kwan Williams, but it looks like they use the safety more yeah. and uh, uh, than Fangio will. And maybe that's because of personnel. Fangio didn't necessarily like his third safety as much as he liked his second inside linebacker. So um, I, I think that's one thing. And, uh, you know, D.J. Jones, the other difference is going to be D.J. Jones versus Shelby Harris. All right, that's that was really the only great change and Jonas Griffith versus Alexander Johnson but but really the only great change up front and Shelby was a you know split the gap he's more of a penetrator than he was a stop the run guy and DJ Jones is the opposite he's more about stopping the run which shows that there is going to be a greater emphasis to not you know when it's time you can't let them run it down their throats. So they've had three full padded practices, and you're starting to kind of get to see these guys playing some more real football-like scenarios. Um, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, what yeah. have you seen between those two guys? And do you see, I, I know everyone thinks it's Javante's game here, yeah. and, and Melvin's just going to be playing second fiddle. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I haven't seen Javante break one. Uh, you know, it seems like he, he gets, you know, there's not there hadn't been much room for Javante yet. Uh, Melvin's had a couple. The third string running backs. Borgie's had... Uh, Borgie had one down the sideline yeah, on Saturday. And Longest had, run of camp. And he had a couple others, too. I mean, he had, like, three nice runs. Um, so, uh, the, the, the th- so make- can we pencil him in as a week one starter, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. It, you know, it, everyone's going to pull for him to stick around as a practice squad. Yeah. But even that'll be a long shot, I think. You think so? Him. Yeah, I do. Um, although, with Crockett down, you, n- you never know. Usually you like a bigger body, uh, you, you know, so you can pull him up on special teams. Yeah. I'm not sure where Borgie is on special teams, but uh, that's going to have to be a big emphasis for him here in the first couple of years of his career. But, uh, yeah, it hasn't. Uh, the running game hasn't hasn't quite taken off in those padded practices. You're, you're talking about those three padded practices. Yeah. Javante hasn't had a whole lot of room. But you know what? When Javante gets hit in the padded practices, the whistle blows. Right. And the game, Javante don't stop. He's going to keep running for some of those, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, you know, you really got to get to tackling to appreciate Javante and how he breaks him. Good stuff, Mike. Appreciate it as always. Thank you very much, my All friend. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All right. Mike. That's uh, Mike Kliss, our 9 News Bronco Insider. Mike is presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, when Nate and I come back, more sights and sounds from here at uh, UC Health Center. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents... Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Stop. Stop. Shut them down. Open up shop. All right. Uh, in Cracker Barrel news, Cracker Barrel customers are angry that the restaurant is now offering an impossible plant-based sausage. Ooh. They didn't pull any of their regular sausages off the menu. They just offered in addition to... But people are upset. What is this beyond meat stuff? I ain't going to eat this. I'm putting this in my mouth. I ain't never coming back here again. That's exactly what they're saying. Yes, verbatim. To hell with this place. <laughs> I used to come here every single Tuesday, and now y'all offering fake sausages. What's next? Fake bacon? I, I don't want no fake bacon, man. 
Is that real or what? Want some grease, man? Our analysis of training camp 2022. I want to be sprinting to the toilet when I wake up in the morning. Ready to ride. This is presented I want to by be like a shotgun blast out of the back of my thing. I'm, I'm doing recon on that toilet all day long. By Elite Sportsbook. You want to be lifted off the seat a little bit? Yeah. Mr. Angry Cracker Barrel customer. I want to get on the ceiling. I want to be like, how did it get up there? How did it get on my back? What in the hell? <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, man. Uh, the music has died down. Practice has started. Warming, uh, warm-ups is essentially over. Individual drills. For some of the receivers not involved in special teams practice, we got Corlin Sutton, we got KJ Hamler, and we got Jerry Judy. KJ wearing the knee brace again here today. I think it's going to be a staple for all practice outside of the lower speed practices. A couple of the uh, we'll call them elite DBs not involved in special teams. We got Justin Simmons, Pat Sertan, Darby over here. I believe Kareem Jackson as well. Those guys uh, working on some. Uh, Breaking drills, breaking on the ball drills, while pretty much the rest of the team is over there focused on the special teams period and the O-line and D-line in that far field doing that big man stuff. Yeah, most of those guys over there on the special teams field understand that the, their ticket to ride is through special teams. They're going to get a chance to do it. Um, three preseason games, show your stuff. Can you make a play on special teams? We got – I, I want to touch on these phrases. Oh, please do, yes. Real quick. Nut milk. <laughs> That might be the one. That could be the one. Um, There's so much context involved with nut milk, I don't think I could just slip that into the broadcast. Well, if you were a skilled broadcaster, you could. Uh, there's a lot of context and nuance involved in that statement. What is nut milk? Where does it come from? What's the origins of that? Just to s- slip it in That's there. The skill. you got to weave in there. This man. guy must put nut milk on his cereal in the morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose there's, there's a way I could slip it in. Yeah, All right. this, guy, this guy's not into cow milk. He's in, you can tell by the way he moves out there. He's not drinking dairy. He's into nut milk. <laughs> what else we got in the text line? Ooh, serpentine-like defense. Mm. Constrictive approach. All right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of folks are keeping it in the reptile world for me, which I appreciate. Some folks are suggesting uh, a Billy Ocean line. Ah, okay. Or you can do the for PFF if you end up talking about PFF. <laughs> or as my partner calls it, I don't know. I don't but know. then, no, you're like boys with us. Yeah, like, yeah. No, man, uh, I didn't mean it. I was just joking. Uh, the Cracker Bear story, uh, your Cracker Bear impres- uh, impersonation there was uh, loved by the text line as well. So good job, man. Hey, it wasn't an impersonation. That's how I feel, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> bacon. All right. Uh, this week at Broncos Camp, man, uh, after kind of beginning to answer the question of uh, from old football guy perspective, are there going to be physical practices? Are they going to ramp things up? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? We're beginning to see those things happen. But as you look forward to this week, game week, as you mentioned, Saturday, 7 o'clock kickoff against the Dallas Cowboys, the joint practice on Thursday against the Cowboys, what do you expect to see out here this week? Yeah, so today I was, wasn't sure what they were going to do. Are they going to do another kind of like half-speed walkthrough thing? They're not doing that. They got their shoulder pads, their helmet on. Um, some guys have their actual, you know, practice pants on. Some guys are in shorts. But Russell Wilson's in full gear. You know what I mean? These guys are going to have a football practice today. It's just not going to be the, the long banger that we saw on Saturday and perhaps what we see tomorrow. I, I, see, I think they'll do a, uh, a pretty good practice today, a good one tomorrow, 
and they'll take Wednesday, kind of shut it down before Cowboys come on Thursday, and then they'll really shut it down on Friday before the game. And that might be a more kind of traditional day-before-a-game situation. Maybe they come out and do a walkthrough or whatever um, and then go through their normal pregame stuff the night before, hotels, uh, the meeting schedule, the way we used to do it. The night before, even a home game, we'd stay in a hotel, and we'd arrive and we'd have kind of dinner, and then we'd start our meetings at 7, 7, 7.30, or maybe it was like 7.30, but it was basically meetings from 7 to 9. We'd have a team meeting at 9, late night snack, bed check at 11.15. You go to sleep in the hotel room, and you wake up the next day ready to play a football game. Now, it's a it's an evening game, and so you'll have all day to kind of hang around. Maybe you can go home, put your feet up and relax, probably a few more meetings. When it's an afternoon or, or I'm sorry, when it's an evening, evening game, they decide to have some more meetings just to, just to throw some more stuff at you so that you are not just sitting around all day. But, yeah, we're, we're fixing to get into some real game situations here. Practice is, is about to be kind of bookended by real games, and we can see what kind of progress these guys are making. Yeah, as a player, uh, you look forward to the preseason games because that typically ends the, the, the training camp schedules of meetings late at night and all that stuff. You begin to get, start to evolve into a more regular season kind of schedule, which is always great as, as well. Um, and there's a little bit less physical demand. And then that starts the true rhythm that you would recognize as a football rhythm. Monday we do a uh, review of what happened on the weekend. We get a lift in. We get a workout in. Tuesday's your day off. Wednesday and Thursday are the more physical padded practice days, if that's possible. Friday's a bit of a polish-up day. Saturday's a walk-through and you play on Sunday kind of thing. So they'll, this week we're the first game on Saturday. They'll begin to evolve into that schedule in some ways. And uh, this training camp will essentially end. The last training camp practice is scheduled for Thursday, August 11th, that joint practice against the Cowboys. So uh, much shorter training practice, training camps than you and I were ever used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy for these guys. They get a are, you, are you happy or I'm, are you jelly? I am not Because it jealous. seems like you're a little jealous. I'm not Chad. jealous. I'm not jealous at all. I'm happy for these guys. That is awesome. But are you skeptical that it's going to produce good football? Uh, I do have some concerns uh, that uh, if there is a two-minute drill early in the season, are they toughened enough? Or is there enough conditioning happening in the course of practice? Because you mentioned you talked to some guys on Saturday. They don't do any extra conditioning in the afternoon. We don't, we're not missing any of the actual conditioning work. They're just not doing it at all. If there's a two-minute drill late in game one against Seattle, have they? Do they have enough in the tank to be able to pull that out? Yes, I am concerned, but I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous of this camp that they're having out here. Good for them. If this actually works, that is awesome. Then this is what. Then this should be repeated. But if it doesn't, you should learn the lessons from this. But like, do you think it's awesome? Like, this part of you, like, kind of like hope that it fails so that the virtues of football remain where they used to be. About the hard work, the blood, split, sweat, and tears. Is part of our reluctance to accept this a hope that there's only one way to do it, and that's the way that we did it? No. No. Peanut butter and uh, jealous. Not at all, peanut butter and jealous. No way, not jelly gel either. If there's a newer, smarter, better way to do that, particularly older in my career, rather than saying I want to go out there and work harder, my focus became how do I work smarter in the offseason? I'm old. I'm 37 years old. going to go out and try to play a football season. If I just tried to do the same workouts I did when I was 23 or 24, I would have killed myself. I would have been working harder but not working smarter. But does football still mean the same thing when you don't have to work? Work hard. Uh, I hope. I, I think these players are as passionate uh, about the game as you and I were. But because there is a different 
uh, mindset about the amount of work, how much we work, the scientific uh, advances in follow training. Follow the science, right? Follow, follow science. Follow the science, which was you know something we heard a lot over the last two and a half years, not yeah, just about football. It, where did it lead us? <laughs> but about COVID and other things. Mm-hmm. If there's a scientific fact-based uh, study or analysis that we can rely upon, Plus, it's backed up, backed up by anecdotal information that I got on my last team. Coach Hackett talking about his experience in, in Green Bay. Then, yeah, if this training camp style works. We can keep guys healthy. Then I'm all for it. It's not about jealous. You don't need to do Oklahoma drill to be a tough football team. You need some padded work. You need some tough periods in there. You need some one-on-ones to develop comp- uh, competitive uh, kind of mindset. But we'll see on Thursday. That'll be the first test of this new experiment that I've been calling it that Nathaniel Hackett is doing this training camp. How does this experiment play out when you have another football team show up in here who may be a little bit more old school based in their mindset, attitude, and training camp style? We're fixing to find out. We are fixing to find out. All right, more sights and sounds uh, coming up next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. From the great uh, Andrew Mason on Twitter, uh, it looks like uh, Kwan Williams is back at practice today. He missed a week with the knee. He was probably the first injury to go down uh, during camp. Uh, so nice to see him back on the football field for sure. Um practice is getting going. Individual periods have started. Linebackers are working their angle tackling right now, making sure they're taking the proper angle, head on the outside kind of stuff where you can eliminate any possibilities of cutbacks. When you don't do a lot of live tackling during practice, you certainly have to work on your angles and all that just to give yourself a chance. That's not real football, though. It's not real. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Every drill can't be real football, right? Right, right. Prepares so, you for a real football scenario. Yeah, but so they're, now they're not even thudding up with that linebacker drill, but they are taking the angle. They are making sure they get their head across the bow, but there's no contact with that uh, quote-unquote tackling drill. Who's the biggest hitter in that linebacking room? Ooh. Uh, you know, Jonas Griffin has put on some size. Last year played about 225. This year play, playing close to 245. Uh, he may be the, the biggest hitter from that inside linebacker position. Has, uh, the, has the value of big hitters been taken out of the game of football? It really has. I mean, heck, even this year, the NFL has changed its uh, helmet-to-helmet rule, uh, and they have removed the phrase, whoever initiates contact. So if you make contact with your helmet, there's a chance that you may be fined or flagged. So they're no longer looking for the person who lowers the helmet first and brings it about. It, you are they're literally trying to take the helmet out of the game. Why not just take the helmet out of the game then? Take the helmet off. Take so, the helmet off. There, there have been folks who have argued for that for years. And just put those uh, guardian caps on them. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a leather helmet, so you can't really re- lead with it anymore. If you want to eliminate the helmet, yes, uh, then take the helmet off for sure. Then guys are not going to be using their helmet as a weapon anymore. Yeah, there's a certain sense of invincibility that comes from wearing that thing. Uh, I certainly... You know, it was played in the era where your helmet was a weapon, and we were taught to use it as a weapon to be able to get off of blocks, to inflict punishment on other players. We used our helmet uh, quite a bit. Uh, they're really trying to take that away from the game. So now with this evolution of the language as far as the NFL is going to use to judge and evaluate, penalize, and find helmet-to-helmet contact, uh, they're even taking a step further. 
because you kind of used to be able to respond. If this guy lowers his helmet, then I can lower mine. Well, now they're removing that initiation language from it, and now you lower your helmet for any reason, chance you could be penalized and fined. So another further step. So the physical part of the game uh, outside of the trenches, uh, I think is going to become less and less. And so, guys. Do you yeah. think that makes it less and less appealing for fans? Do they love the big hits? Do they love that the fact that the helmet is used for a weapon and it creates those big collisions? Or would they be happy with the, ga- with, with the game just kind of being without that element? The game is more popular than ever. So, yes, there's always going to be a certain segment of the old football guys who say it's not football There's anymore. Football. Yes. You know, we can't cream the quarterback. We can't hit him below the knees. We can't do all these things we used to do. Uh, you know, I'm happy, guys, we'll get a chance to retire, hopefully with less injuries than you and I had. I'm happy that, you know, maybe more moms in America feel comfortable with little Timmy playing football. Timmy, oh, always, it's always Timmy. Got, It's always got to be oh, Timmy. You know it's Timmy. always Timmy for me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm happy the game has evolved in some ways. Uh, it's a, if it's a safer game, then that's better for the game overall and the better for the growth of the game. Maybe, you know, down the road, football will become almost a glorified version of flag, seven on seven. Uh, that is certainly possible. That would allow even more athleticism to be a part of the game rather than just raw physical contact. Um, but I certainly appreciated what Steve Atwater brought to a football field, what John Lynch brought to a football field. But I'm not sure if five years from now, you would ever bring a safety uh, to your team because that's what they bring. The game has just changed so much. Yep, maybe relics of a bygone era, but we can always remember them fondly, right? We'll always have NFL films and and those old uh, clips to show us what it used to be like. Um, we just got a text. I'm a rugby player who previous, previously played football. I learned very quickly not to use my head in rugby because I was not wearing a helmet. Take the helmet off. There you go. Uh, one question for you to kind of finish up uh, today's show. Um, if you were Coach Hackett, put on your Coach Hackett hat and your Star Wars t-shirt over there, Nate. Yeah. Uh, new offense, so many new pieces going into this offense. How much do you play the starters this preseason? What games do you play them in? How long do they play? You know, I, I, I want to play them. I want to play them in all three. Ooh, all three. All three. Um, I guess maybe you could take – so is there is there a week or two weeks from the last preseason game to the first regular season game? Do we know that? Um, so, so while you look that up, I think um, the amount of time you have off between the, the, your last preseason game and your first game, to me, is going to determine whether or not you play your starters. I don't want my starters sitting for three weeks before their for, between their last preseason game and their first regular season game. Okay, I want them to feel that game time, feel those reps, and then create some momentum going into the last game. I'm sorry, the first game of the season. With only three preseason games, a new quarterback, a new system, new coach, and by the way, the on-field dynamics on game day between the offensive coordinator or whoever's calling the plays is going to be Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. you got to iron that out, you know. These guys have to have reps in a game situation to understand how they're going to handle week one. So I think um, at least two of them, and maybe I would say one quarter in the first, a half of football in the second, and maybe rest them in the third if there's only one week between the third 
and the first game of the regular season. If there's two weeks between the third preseason and the first regular season game, I want them to get their feet wet in that third preseason game, maybe just a series or two and get them out. But uh, you also got to get a look at a bunch of other guys, too. So you have to value that part of it. There's a lot of guys you know how they play, right? Pastor Tan, you know what he's about. Justin Simmons, you know what he's about. Ronald Darby, you know what he's about. Bradley Chubb, you know what he's about. Draymond Jones, you know what he's about. DJ Jones, you know what he's about. But there's a lot of guys you got to see reps with. And so, really, the preseason is for those guys, those guys who aren't getting the ball during these practices. Those are the dudes who are going to be playing a lot for the Max Borgies, trying to make an impression. That's what preseason is for. But you want to get the starters a little bit of a lather. You know, you want to get them a little bit of a pop. You want to rust, Russell Wilson to get out there, run around a little bit, throw the ball a little bit, and then get out clean. But I would play them at least in two out of the three. All right, the last preseason game to answer your question is August 27th. Uh, the Broncos kick off the regular season against the Seahawks on 9-12. Yeah. So uh, two weeks in between those games. So it gives a little bit more credence to your point of playing those guys in that last preseason game yep. so they don't have this extended vacation from regular football action. Yeah, yeah, otherwise that would be three weeks off. Yes. Three weeks between their last preseason game and the first game, and that would only be two games that they actually played. And I think you got to play them a little bit in that third preseason game. All right, well, uh, this is going to be a fun week here with the Broncos. Joint practice on Thursday. First preseason game on Saturday night kicks off at 7 p.m. That's it for Nate and I today. We hand this thing over to Stoke and Zach. They're next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.